G'day guys, welcome back to the show. This week, a very special guest, Alicia Eva. Alicia is the captain of the GWS Giants in the AFLW. She's also a development coach for the men's program where we spend a lot of time together in the NEFL competition. She's an unreal person with a serious footy IQ. On top of all of this, she's been studying psychology for the last five years. Alicia is a switched on unit. We touch on it all, her journey to the AFLW, working as a coach in the AFL, progressions of the game, facing backlash, and what's to come from her. Cannot thank Leash enough for her time, and I cannot wait to see what she's got in store next. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some lighthearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Alicia, Eva, thank you so much for coming on the Dylan Friends podcast. Uh, it's been a long time in the making and I'm um, very, very excited for this episode. I am so honoured to be here, Dill. It's been a while since uh, I caught up with you up in Sydney, but when, when you sent me the message last week, I was like, amazing, let's do it. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. I'm super pumped. And um, obviously, I think it's worth setting the scene on our relationship and how we came to, to know each other because it is a funny one. Um, obviously, you're the captain of the Giants in the AFLW, um, you're studying psychology, taking over the world, but another very important role of yours, um, and we, we will touch on all of these parts of your life, but a very important role in how we probably became to know each other quite well was you were uh, coaching um, the, the defence at the Giants yes. NEFL team as well. What a time. <laughs> how, did you, how did you find that experience, I suppose, like just now? What are your memories of us... Over the last two years, I suppose, um, in a time like this at the moment, like I'm in COVID, I'm in Melbourne, I've, the last yeah. thing I can imagine is, is going and playing footy. But what, that was such a great – it feels like it was so long ago that we were actually doing that. I know. And, like, I, I was down in Melbourne as recently as a month ago, now back up in Sydney, um, and footy's being played up here at, a, at local league, um, but coming from Melbourne and you couldn't even go for, you know, a kick in the park with your mates. So I just find it, it's like two different worlds at the moment. But – Back to your question, yeah, um, the coaching space and I guess um, how I came to know you in, I guess, a working capacity, um, it was, I, I still remember that conversation we had around the dinner table up in um, up on the Gold Coast and um, you probably haven't thought twice about it but we, we you sat down and you said, um, you're like, Leash, I just want to let you know that I've never had um, a female coach before uh, at the start, it was kind of like, oh, what's what's all this about? But I just want to let you know that you're just one of the coaches. Um, and that was really, like, probably something that's, you know, you're just a nice guy and, and it, I love that you were so honest. But for me, I really took that conversation and was like, yeah, how good is this? Like, that's all I've, that's all I've ever wanted to be. Um, I just want to be one of the coaches. I work with the backline boys. Didn't see much of you, though, Dil Buckley. Don't know if you ever worked defensive half of the ground, but... Um, yeah, that's that's something that I certainly took away from from our working relationship up with the Giants. So, yeah. No, I really appreciate that, Alicia. And I definitely do do remember it. And I'm not just saying this because of of our relationship and what we've been through. But um, yeah, the, the respect I've got for you and the reason that I've wanted to to get you on the show and and tell your story and 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 talk about a few few big things is because um, I just love the way you go about it. And um, as I said, what you're doing, and let alone the AFLW space is doing at the moment, is, is such, a, such a cool thing. Um, oh, as we you. touched on it, you were my coach 
in the NEFL. You're also the captain of the Giants. But how did it all start for you? Because one thing with, with AFLW that I've always wondered and something that I think I was a bit naive to um, early days is obviously, you know, girls played footy from a, a junior yeah. age. And then there comes a time in your career where you said it's, you get the tap on the shoulder and you say, hey, um, no more. Yeah. Well, I um, I started all the way back in Auskick and I think um, I'm one of the, I was one of the first women to have gone through the whole pathway. So to go from Auskick all the way up into senior footy and then AFLW. So my story is a little bit different though, because there was never a point in time where I had to stop playing footy. Um, so you, you, you would have heard all the stories about Aaron Phillips and all these players who played junior footy with the boys. Um, and then at the age of 13, they had to stop playing footy. Um, and then they came back to the game later in life. Well, I was really lucky. The timing was perfect for me. So I could, I did Ausgeek, did junior footy at the East Malvern Knights um, and played all the way up into my under-13 age and did get that tap on the shoulder and the boys carried me off and that was my last game with the boys and then I thought that was it. Um, but then what happened was I think AFL Victoria were taken to court that summer and then they actually raised the playing age of girls to under 14. So I played another year of junior footy with the boys, which was awesome. Got carried off twice. Um, <laughs> and the other really great thing that happened for me at the time too was that they um, they started the AFL Youth Girls competition. So that was for girls uh, aged 13 to 18. Um, so I didn't – not at any point did I have to walk away from footy. So was really, really lucky. Um, and, yeah, then ended up playing senior footy. Um but I think people always ask me the question, you know, why coaching? And for me, back in the day, if I was going to have a career in football, it wasn't going to be as a player because there was no AFLW. So, um, yeah, when I stopped playing under 18 footy, I just took over the coaching reins from dad and it kind of just went from there. And now I seem to balance them both. I don't know how well I balance them. but No, yeah. you do. You do a tremendous job. What was that like, though, I suppose, from that time when you were saying – it was a bit all up in the air, like you're playing a little bit with the boys, you're transitioning to playing with the girls. When did you first realise that AFLW was going to become a thing? Like how early in your transition was that? Like was there murmurs of this actual comp coming along? Because I feel like, and again, you know, I wasn't involved as much in as women's footy um, then and yeah. you know, I'm still not involved in a, in a role at all, but like, it, it seemed like it just sort of came from, from my perspective, it came from you know just a big, really quickly, it just came on like, bang and it was there well I think it was always like the the Victorian Women's Football League the VWFL was always this elite competition and the, the big AFW stars were running around that competition and women have been playing footy for so many years um, but just never you know in a professional setting and um, I guess when I was coming through my teenage years, there were talk. There was talk around about um, AFLW coming to fruition in 2020, but to me, it kind of always felt a little bit like it was in the too hard basket, um, and that's why so many um, talented footballers, I guess, went into other sports or. Um, you know, tried to further themselves in different fields. Um, and, and we all, you know, it's it's fascinating because we all gave up our summers for gruelling pre-seasons and we, we did this for so many years but there was never, um, you know, it wasn't because we were playing AFLW footy. It was, you know, I was just running around for Melbourne Uni. So there's always been that passion there and there's always been that talent there but there was never that, um, there was just never that, that um, elite comp. Um, so I actually took a year off in 2015 and it was my first year off from footy and I just went over to Europe um, and because I was coaching and playing and studying and do too, doing too many things and I completely burnt out. So I thought, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go to Europe. 
Um, and I was actually on a boat in Croatia, um, as you can imagine, having the time of my life. And that's when I actually saw the press conference um, that Gil McLaughlin had announced that AFLW was going to happen in 2017. So with cocktail in hand, I thought, you know what, I'm going to enjoy myself for the next couple of months and then when I get back I'll get fit again and give myself the best the best shot um, that I can of making AFLW. So, yeah, that's that's how it kind of happened for me. That was my, my take on it, yeah. Because there was a two teams at the start. There was obviously Melbourne and the Bulldogs and they were playing mm-hmm. exhibition games. Yeah. And then I think from there it turned into having, you know, obviously Carlton – um, got a team because I know that I was obviously involved with them. Um, and then, so there was, was it eight teams to start with? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So in, I think it was 2013, we played that first exhibition game, Melbourne and Bulldogs. So I think that was probably the first point in time where we thought, um, you know, we've got two, uh, well, particularly Melbourne, a, a pioneering AFL club. Um, we've got them investing in the women's program. This is going to be a yearly thing. The doggies came on board too. Um, I think that was probably the first time where we started to, um, it, well, I guess the reality of, of a professional competition was kind of born for me anyway. This is just my perspective. But, yeah, we played two or three years of that, but that was only one game a year and then you just go back and play at your state league club. But, um, yeah, it was – it was just it just seemed like a bit of a slow build um but there was so much work going on in the background as well and i think part of me working in the coaching space and working in the under 18 development space um i got to know some amazing 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 people who were um who really have you know their hard work 10 years ago has got us to where we are now um so yeah i i worked with some of those women and and some of those men and um i think that's what made it really special in that first year so we did have eight teams in that first season of aflw it was really special particularly in that first game because i played for collingwood that year um i i got to play in that first game and um when we ran out at the start of the game everyone in the stadium was up on their feet applauding not just us but applauding you know everyone had gone before to get us to that point it was a really really special time yeah yeah, I remember that. I was I was actually at Carlton at that stage and it was unbelievable seeing how many people, you know, came to the game, packed out yeah. Icon Park. Like it was unbelievable how big it was. Um yeah. look, it'd be remiss of us not to touch on like as as much as uh, at the start AFLW was incredibly received by most people, there was a massive backlash of, you know, this yeah. typical man like, you know, older sort of generation. Not not just men as well, you know, like there was it's actually something that's probably surprised me a lot is a, a lot of, you know, these probably dis, not disgruntled, but these people that, you know, really just don't see a place for AFLW was mm-hmm. a lot of older men and women that just didn't grow up with it and they couldn't yeah, yeah. fathom it and they didn't like the change. How hard was that dealing with the criticism early days? Um, there was a lot of it. And, um, you know, there's still, there's still criticism around. And I think for us and as a player, the frustrating thing was that a lot of the criticism was coming from people who weren't really that educated on the pathways or the lack of pathways that have existed for women in a, in a Australian rules football space, um, you know, to to get the competition up and running. Um, and there were eight teams um, there were a lot of, I guess, uh, you know, it was well publicised that there were players that came in from different codes. Um, there were a lot of uh, athlete types. And I think when people realised that the AFLW competition was made up of footballers but also made up of cross-code athletes, um, it, it allowed for some further commentary, like we're not ready for this. Um, 
But what people didn't, what those naysayers didn't realise at the time is that there hasn't been 150 years of, of development pathways for women. You know, there hasn't, it, there hasn't been um, elite competitions or TAC Cup competition wasn't around for young girls. Um, it, it, the first year that happened, I think, was 2018. So, um, you know, any kind of development pathway really started um, probably in around 2009, 2010. Um, so yeah, it was that was the frustrating thing for me is that there was so much commentary and every man and his dog had an opinion on a, on AFLW, but there were only a few people who actually took the time to actually ask themselves, okay, what has the pathway been thus far? Um, you know, the the thing that we're always that's very topical and still topical now is that the majority of AFLW players work nine to five, and then the AFLW players five to nine. Um, we would love to be in a position where we're full-time athletes in at the club um, and we can work on growing the game. And it, and it has grown and it is growing and there's such appetite for it that at, at some point, you know, I've learnt to kind of put the, you know, um, the naysayers and the criticism, I've kind of, I don't even pay attention to it. It's still there um, and the social media world makes it very present to some players. But um, I think... Yeah, AFLW is something that was never going to be perfect, just like the first year of the AFL was never going to be perfect. It's mm. we build it, we build it, we build it. People come, we grow the game. Um, and something that I do want to touch on is when I was back home during this entire COVID crisis, um, the amount of girls kicking the footy with their mates at the park, it was so different to yeah. when I was home three years ago. Like I couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. So... Um, it was really awesome to see, and it's grown in such a short space of time. That's actually a massive point and a massive reason why I wanted to do the show today. I absolutely love that you, you brought it up so early, but I think that that's even, you know, without spoiling the point that we want to make, that's the bigger picture, I think, of AFLW. Yeah. And, and you don't have to be smart enough to, to see this, but, that, you know, obviously it's about playing footy, but I think it's just showing girls that there is a pathway there now yeah. that wasn't there when, you know, you were young. Like, imagine growing up now... Um, seeing girls run around and knowing that that's an option for you and yeah. now having the correct pathway with the correct training. Yeah. And you can see now the improvement in, you know, five years, let alone that it's going to be in another five years and a five years after that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's one of the reasons that people need to think. It's not about what's happening now. It's about what's yeah. going to be happening. And I think it's about the pathways that it's creating and the games that it's changing, the mindsets that it's changing for the kids in the future. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I've said when when we've said, you know, we work nine to five and, and then we're players five to nine, a, a lot of people are met with, yeah, but they do that in the in the ammos all the time. You know, we all work other jobs and that's, that's a lot of the feedback um, that we get. But then I think the big piece for me is when you need to step back and you look, you take a look at, um, you know, a young – maybe not a young guy, but a, a guy in his mid-20s has been able to play footy, or maybe a 30-year-old has been able to play footy his whole life and has never fallen out of it. He's always had access to coaching. Whether he's playing at AFL level or, or Amos or whatever, um, there's never been a point in time where he hasn't been able to play football. But for some of our women, and, and now more so our, our older women, they haven't had years and years and years and years of refining skills and of coaching and, and X, Y, and Z. So think um yeah it's there's just so many different factors that you know that's why I think it's important that players and particularly some of our younger players when they do read criticism and they do hear this and they do hear that that they take it with a grain of salt and and also help educate some people um mm. 
that's that's what's been really important for me I think throughout this whole process but yeah when I when I grew up playing footy I was one of two girls in my club um and now I think my junior club has maybe don't quote me on this but I'm fairly sure they have the most uh under 18 girls teams in Australia which is awesome it's amazing it's really really cool it's yeah it's incredible and even like we go back to say you know we're we're not too far apart I'm, I'm 27 my sister's 29 um, and you know, the reason for me, like this sort of hits home so much as well. And something that I've always really thought about is my sister, um, was a ballerina and she was like, you know, incredible, incredible ballerina. She was in the Australian ballet. She went to Germany for two years, um, over there. And it always really hurt me that, um, you know, I played footy and I could do it full time and get paid good money. And she was a better dancer than I was footballer like she was you know in the top you know two three ballerinas in in the country but had to move to another country to make a living out of it and I know it's a different I know it's a different um it's a different industry and the arts is a little bit harder to to benefit from than AFL but I just thought well you know thinking about it now like not that you know she might not have wanted to play footy at all but if that was an option and there was a pathway there earlier maybe that could have been and I always thought you know because I grew up as a kid and I'm sort of just spitballing here. I, I sort of thought, look, I really want to tell this story, but I don't want to tell it wrong and I don't want to paint it in a bad light. But basically, um, one thing that really, really changed for me one day was when we – and my perception of this, because I've always grown up again in an equal household, as everyone is and and has. And, you know, my mum's the most important person to me in my life and, and nothing like that at all. And I always thought that I was very, you know, mindset-wise was, was – well, you know, adjusted to, to modern times and modern thinking. But um, there was a day when we, um, as footy clubs, you go do school clinics. Yeah, and yeah. we went out and did a, a school clinic at a primary school one day. And basically um, there was a, a girl hosting the clinic that was from Carlton, like a Carlton college um, basically. And she was sort yeah. of like hosting the clinic for these like grade one to two, three-year-old, um, grade one, two, three students. Yeah. And basically she was running this seminar and I was sort of like sitting in the class and, you know, as well as a lot of other people and the teachers were sitting in the class and she was sort of taking us through this exercise. And basically she goes, all right, guys, um, guys and girls, can you please, you know, get your piece of papers out and I want you to draw four people. Mm. And she goes, I want you to draw a fireman, a pilot, a doctor and a nurse. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. So like we, you know, draw the four people and she goes, and don't forget you have to name them and you have to give them a name. Basically, at the end of the the class, uh, sorry, at the end of the exercise, she goes, okay, you know, start presenting, you know, your thing. And she looked, you know, she was asking all these kids, you know, like, oh, what's your um, doctor's name? And, you know, a little girl would be like, oh, my doctor's name's Paul. Yeah. And then she goes to another little boy. She goes, okay, what's your fireman's name? And she goes, oh, my fireman's name's Chris. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, okay, what's your pilot's name? Name's Simon. Um, And then, you know, they'd go to another girl and they'd say, what's your nurse's name? And they said, my nurse's name's Sarah. Yeah. But basically she just said, like, guys and girls, you know that these jobs can be done by anyone. Yeah. You know, they're not and, – and I looked at my paper and I had the exact same thing. Mm. And I was like, you piece of shit. Like, you, like, you know, like, I know that. Like, I knew that. Not that I didn't know that at all, but I think that from a young age, obviously seeing on TV and seeing all these things um, – you just assume and in the back of your mind, not that you actually think those things at all. I yeah, know yeah. women can do whatever they want, but I think that from like, you know, reading books and going to school and even the little girls and the teacher, we all had the same thing. 
absolutely. And it was like, I was like, far out. Like, is that, is that actually, like, I know that's not what I think, but how can you be like, like, how can I be like that when I know that's not the way I am? But it's just, and it's I think just like, yeah, conditioning. Yeah, it's it? just, it's just conditioning. And I thought, well, fuck, that's, and I was like, that's why, that's why it's so important. Like, how, that's imp- how important AFLW is. And that's why, yeah. you know, when we see, um, you know, that's why when we see Taylor Harris and we see Darcy yeah. Vestia and we see all these girls being put up, um, you know, for AFLW, it's not about what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. It's to like show everyone that this is what we can do and what yeah. everyone can do and what we accept and what the norm is. Like it's yeah. creating a norm, not for us, because we know that's a norm, but it's a creating a norm for the kids because obviously these kids and the, when we were kids, that's yeah. what we saw. Yeah, and that's the exciting thing. We spoke about how we don't want it to be out of the ordinary that, um, you know, your favourite footballer is female. We just want that to be, for you know, for forever to come now. We just want it to be the norm. Um, we, you know, when I was growing up, David Neitz was plastered all over my wall um, and I wanted to, you know, kick as many goals as David Neitz, but I was never going to be David Neitz. Um, and then now the really, really cool thing is that, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, Alicia Eva could be on someone's wall. I mean, I don't kick lots of goals, so I'm not going to be up there <laughs> fist pumping or anything. But, you know, Taylor Harris and Daisy and Aaron Phillips, like it's so cool. Um, and the nicest thing to see as well is when you go, when we're playing AFLW and when we do our little high fives to the fans um, around the fence at the end of the game, you see little boys wearing an Alicia Eva badge. Um and it's not just the girls; it's it's for young guys too. Like they, they, you know, I'm, I'm, Taylor Harris would be the favourite AFLW player of many people, um, but not just not just little girls, but also little boy little boys. And I think that's really really cool that that's now the norm. Um, mm. And the big thing for us is we just the big term that we keep going back to, and, and Darcy Vessio is really vocal in this is just that term opportunity. Um, mm. Right now, we're just you know you need to give players the opportunity to grow and develop, and we need you need to give the playing group um, opportunity to um, to take this game where we know it's going to go. Um, and without opportunity, then, you know, it, it will, like anything, um, it'll, it'll take a little bit longer unless we kind of fast-track that and, and continue to invest in it. And, um, yeah, I, there are some freakishly good footballers coming through at the moment in the junior ranks, and I'm not just talking about the boys. There's some freakishly mm. good girls coming through, which is awesome to see. And also yes, scary to think that maybe I might compete against them, but maybe I'm getting too old now, so who knows? <laughs> no, it, you're right. It's super exciting. And I think just to, just to harp on that fact again, it's like, you know, like as, as those kids growing up now, for them it's funny to think. And, and even though we've grown up with this as well, because it's a norm for us now, but for them there was a time, there was nev- there's never going to be a time for them that they weren't able to do this. And yeah. they were probably going to look back in like, you know, be like, what do you mean, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago, we couldn't do this? Like, that's just so strange. Like, that's yeah. what it is. But now it's obviously here to stay and it's uh, it's improving so much. Leash, uh, we've been talking about uh, this a bit, but obviously AFL players at the moment are getting a lot of social media hate. Um, obviously, uh, you know, game-specific stuff. There's a lot of, you know, disgusting racism um, comments, but... Something that, you know, from speaking to you off air is still really prevalent in, in AFLW are still these remarks um, and still this online hate to, to AFLW players. Yeah. Um, how bad is that still and how can, we, how can we combat it and how can we call it out and how can we get it better? 
Yeah, I think um, it's very topical at the moment. Um, and I've had a conversation with a number of different players, um, AFLW players around around this stuff recently. And um, it is it is an issue. There are, there are a lot of players that get personal messages, um, sometimes in season, a lot of the time out of season, um, which is quite worrying because it's like people have gone and found you on your Instagram and have gone out of their way to message you something. Um, you know, I think... Just as much as uh, we, are, we are totally open to um, our, I guess, you know, if someone says that I had a bad game and I kicked terribly, you know, whatever, I don't, that, that's part of it. That's part of being an athlete. That's part of being, um, I guess, a semi-professional athlete and, and putting yourself out there. But when things become personal and they become um, quite degrading uh, and, yeah, and I'm, I've, I've had messages myself and um, I know a number of other players have and, of course, AFL boys get it all the time. But it's something that um, we need to keep calling out and I know that a lot of, of our players haven't necessarily called it out, um, but we need, to be a, we need to be mindful of it. We need to create um, pathways to, you know, if, if I don't want to jump on Twitter and, and take a screenshot and, and, and uh, I guess, call it out that way, what avenues are there for for us as athletes to to make sure that this doesn't go unnoticed and, and doesn't go unchecked so um yeah it's it's a really interesting one it's very topical but um you know athletes are people I think we all need to grow up and understand that athletes are people their performance is one thing to comment on but them as a person is just completely overstepping the line and I think that we shouldn't be saying um athletes just have to learn how to deal with it I shouldn't have to learn how to deal with someone um, commenting on me as a person. I can deal with the commentary on performance, but not me as a person. Um, so we need to get on top of that. Um, and, yeah, if, if players aren't comfortable necessarily calling it out in a public way, how can we record it and how can we make sure it doesn't go left unchecked? Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on, especially the the scary thing about a lot of these comments um, with AFL players, AFLW players, athletes in general, is a lot of these accounts that they're sending them from are their personal accounts. Like, they're not these, like, robot sort of fake accounts. So I think that if it is done like that, there has to be a way that it is traceable. Um, We saw with with Grimes, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that there was actually, you know, police, you know, arrest, um, an arrest made. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what actually happened with that, but... You know, surely in a way that's, you know, got to be something that we're looking into these days because, like we said, these people are stupid enough to, one, write these things and comment on what, uh, you know, an athlete's performance and attack their personality, which are two different things. Mm. Um, but if they're stupid enough to, to do it on their own account, then they should be a hold accountable to it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like as a, as a former athlete, you, you're right, you, you – you welcome feedback and I think that especially at a high level you welcome feedback on performance and realistically athletes are the hardest people on themselves so like if you've played a bad game or you've stuffed something up you're going to know that like you're going to know like not yeah. I, I'm still having nightmares about some of the things I used to do on the field and, and wake up in the middle of the night and sweat and realise that I, I don't play footy anymore but yeah. I don't really need you telling me that as well because I, I know that like it's, it's sort of you know I don't know where they get the satisfaction out of realising yeah. that it's it's going to help them especially when it's not about player it's actually about you know what they're doing as a person yeah yeah and with I mean the AFLW stuff I know I've spoken about how you know I feel like there's a lot of unfair criticism um, from uneducated people who don't know the pathways blah, blah, blah. I spoke about all that earlier and um, but I still think there is there is room and, and it, a lot of positive stuff can can come out of um, public figures talking about um, 
the standard of performance because hopefully we use that as a way to grow our game. Like invest, let's invest, let's invest. But, um, you know, when it becomes personal stuff, the, the other thing to consider from an AFLW perspective and something that I'm really mindful of is, you know, I can deal with that. If I, if I get a message... Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that I. It doesn't affect me in any way, but um, I, I'm big enough and ugly enough um, in some capacities to be able to deal with it and see it for what it is and report it appropriately. But an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old who's stepped into an AFW pathway isn't full time, so doesn't have necessarily the sports psych or the team manager or the player development manager available to talk this through with. Um, you know, it, it presents other challenges. Um, so I think, yeah, that's that's just something that I'm um, wanting to really push uh, within the AFLW space, just how can we better support um, against this online stuff because it's we live in a social media age, we accept it, we love it for so many different reasons, but um, it also comes with um, dangers, so to speak. So the AFL um, and the AFLW are doing some really great work in that space. What are you most proud of in terms of AFLW, in terms of its improvement? Mm-hmm over its journey like it's only so young but there's been yeah. some some massive improvements obviously like the skill level and whatnot's yeah. one of those but there's got to be some other things as well is it the participation i know you were talking about earlier there's so many young girls now um playing footy at a lower level as well um there's so many things that i'm proud of um i think the social change aspect that aflw has had um that first game in way back in 2017 now, you know, there were so many people there who I don't think could have cared less really for Carlton or Collingwood um, and weren't necessarily big fans of football in general, but they were there because it was such a, um, you know, pivotal moment for women in the Australian sporting landscape. And at that point in time, it was the highest attended um standalone female sporting event um i think that was definitely overtaken by um i think a matilda's game and now the cricket but you know it it, what what it has done in the community um and i guess the the avenues and positive pathways it's created for people to i guess have a really positive effect on social change has been awesome and as a playing group um you know a lot of our a lot of our players are quite vocal and quite um, active on their social media and I think it's it's given great opportunity for us to kind of um, not just put football or women's football on the map but you know a lot of this um, respect and responsibility stuff um, which you know I think is, is super important um, so I'm, I'm proud of what our playing group have been able to do as a cohort that has taken a lot of flack and has had to you know has been challenged by so many different people who um you know, and, and some very high person, uh, sorry, high profile people who have very loud voices, and um, I think, yeah, seeing some of our girls and and particularly Taylor, we know all the stuff that went on with with that kick, but to see, I guess, um, the great work that's been done off the back of something quite disgusting, um, it's just been awesome to see how players have grown in that space, and I think the the really the really special thing for me too, I guess, as a player and a coach, is that I got I coached a lot of the young girls coming through, um, and you know Maddie Pressbarkas who won the league BNF this year. You know I first met her at the Quarter Cannons, and she was this tiny, tiny thirteen year old. And um, you know back then we were saying, "Yep, AFL is going to happen for for girls. It's going to happen. We promise you'll get there. You'll get there one day." And then to see that it did come into fruition, I can still play in it, but then I can also see these young girls that we were kind, I guess, um, promising this stuff to. To see her then go and win the BNF uh, was pretty cool. So. Yeah, there's so many different things that I'm proud of, but there are a couple. What does 
AFLW need to go to the next level? Is it for, is it to be able to go full time? Is it to be season extended? Is it like what what are some of those sort of big changes that need to occur? There are many conversations that go on about this and I'll try and be as succinct as possible and, and keep in mind that a lot of this is just my own kind of opinion. But yeah. I think um, in its infancy, players are really realistic that, um, you know, in the first season it was eight teams. It wasn't going to be every team has – every club has a team. Um, the, the part-time nature of it was, uh, I guess, almost accepted in the first couple of years um, as, as competitions grow and that's nothing new to – AFLW, that's just how I, I'm assuming sport has progressed. But um, I think when it's met with, uh, it, it goes back to the conversation earlier around when AFLW is so highly scrutinised. Um, and to be honest, sometimes I think it's just scrutinised because, you know, we're, we're in this pocket of the year where there's no other sport. Um, people are, um, which is great for us. I love it. But, um, yeah. you know, it's. <laughs> The, the frustration is people are calling for this product to go from zero to 100 like that, um, despite the fact that they haven't been pathways, but, you know, for a number of players uh, for the last 30 years and um, despite the fact that players only get to train up to 15 hours a week um, and that includes recovery and rehab and, um, you know, we don't have the luxury of being able to spend the day at the club uh, and, and refining um, everything that we'd like to refine um, and then go to work the next morning or get off a plane and then, you know, you've played on Sunday and then you get off a plane and then you go to work at 8am on Monday morning and, and do it all over again. I think um, the for me there just needs to be greater understanding of that and then also recognition that um, AFOW isn't an expense. So we always look at the numbers and um, or, well, people look at the numbers and, and think, well, AFOW doesn't make any money. Okay, well, how are we quantifying that? Um, and instead of seeing it as an expense, can't we see it as an investment in the future? Because we already, you know, I spoke about the girls kicking the footy around um, at community parks here, there and everywhere. It's the, the game is, the game holistically will grow and, and has grown and we already know how, the impact AFLW has had, but um, in the future it, it'll be so much better for um, and so much stronger for having AFLW um, come up. And yeah, I think for me, and this is just my opinion, I'd love to be a full time athlete. I'd love to be able to um, to essentially mirror what the boys do, um, and that's what we're that's what we're pushing for. Um, we know it's not going to happen overnight, but um, investment needs to be seen as an investment, not an expense. Yeah, I think anyone uh, with a half a brain realizes that it's definitely an investment. It's 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 not an expense. And as we've touched on the whole the whole show, it's it's about what's to come. I think that's yeah. the most exciting thing of, of of what's what's next. And as you said, these pathways coming through, having the opportunity um, for all these people to come and like like it's in in fall, I just can't wait to see AFL, like for what it is now. It's incredible, but to see what it's going to be you know, soon um, is, is what's really exciting, I think, in that aspect. Yeah. And especially in Victoria as well. Like, um, I grew up in, in Fitzroy and would do a lot of my um, training down at Darabin. Mm-hmm. So we used to watch – like, we used to train before the Darabin Falcons. Yeah. And um, I love watching AFLW. I dead set reckon half the, half the chicks are tougher than half the blokes. Like, it is, <laughs> a, it is a good game to watch. Well, it, it is. And I think people were really – uh, people who didn't really have much to do with women's footy before AFLW, they'd go down to um, 
Witten Oval and watch watch one of the games and and the overwhelming feel or response that I was getting or was hearing was that people were like wow this is like the VFL back in the day you're mm. up close and personal big hits um, and and it was I guess it, it, a lot of people really enjoyed the experience because it was close up and um, and it was something that they hadn't necessarily seen uh, in a, in a little while. Um, so yeah, it's and mind you, the Darabin Falcons, that that team back when you would have been training, that team was very handy. There were a number of all Australians running around in that in that team. Yes, yes, I do know that. I'm I'm been uh, made well aware. I think Darcy was a was a good play down there as well. So I handy. the history of the Darabin Falcons. Uh, yeah, you see that coming up quite a bit. Um, yes. So obviously, starting out of Collingwood, yep. you moved to the Giants. And became uh, captain there after uh, Fridge. But mm-hmm. how did that all take plan? Because was that was that like a trade, or was it like did you seek to come up here? Was there the opportunity of the coaching a part of that deal, or yeah. was it sort of something that you worked out once you got up here that you wanted to do? I loved my first year at Collingwood and was vice captain there, and um, you know was we were at the biggest sporting club in Australia, um, so. When the decision came up to, you know, do I want to move to Sydney and play for a Western Sydney club where, um, you know, you'd know really well, Dil, that AFL footy up here isn't as big as it is in Victoria and certainly not out in Western Sydney. But, um, you know, it it was a really big change and something that I had to really consider before I requested the trade. So, yeah, I did request a trade um, and it was off the back of um, a couple of things. um, But... From an employment sense, um, I was investing a lot of my time in coaching. I'd worked in the TAC Cup pathway. uh, And for me, I guess the next kind of step in my coaching progression was to work, um, you know, not a a volunteer role. And so many coaches work uh, for free. I, I appreciate and understand that. So when the Giants offered me employment to work with the Giants Academy and to work with Jason Saddington and, and link in closely with their, I guess, their NEFL program with the, the Academy boys that play up, um, I kind of saw it as an opportunity and a door for me to kind of make that next step. Uh, and the best thing was they said to me, your first priority will be to be is to be a player. We want you to be a player at our club. We want you to help educate um, our players um, and we want you to come and live in sunny Sydney and, and we want to, at the same time, progress your kind of coaching aspirations. So there are a couple of different things um, that I had to weigh up. Um, I was working in community health down in Melbourne, which I loved um, and, again, loved my time um, at Collingwood. And, and also, like, every everyone who lives in Melbourne knows that or now it's a bit different but you know Melbourne's a home of footy and I didn't know someone who loves footy as much as I as much as I do I was like hmm do I really want to do this but yeah it was awesome and I'm still up here four years later or three years later uh, and it's been been brilliant and now and then last year of course I I um, got to work in the as a development coach with the with the men's program which was just it just wouldn't have happened had I stayed down in Melbourne with with the coaching role I think it's it's such an interesting point because as we chatted on it earlier like to say that it, to say, you know, I want to ask you how you found that because yeah. I think to say that it was great um, and it was normal, it was an easy transition. Like I think that would we'd be joking because, as we said earlier, like it wasn't. It, it I'd played footy since I was um, under tens and had never had a female coach um, that whole time, and it was welcome. I felt like it was from from our end, like it was it was awesome. But I, I really would love to know from your end because besides, I think. Peter Searle, who was the coach of Port Melbourne 
um, was assistant coach at Port Melbourne, and then she went to St Kilda. Yeah, is yeah. that correct? Yeah, yeah. She she was one of nearly the only female coaches in any AFL uh, men's program, and then yourself. So it's something that was pretty untouched. And if, forgive me if I've um, left the eye out there, but what was that like for you coming into into the men's program early days? Um, yeah, I think if I said it was the easiest thing and there was no no issue and it was you know. Um, there wasn't challenges I'd be lying uh, because yeah. there have been I think the really important thing for me is that um, like I, I like to separate myself I like to consider myself as just a coach and I said that early on and I think part of um, part of me um, feeling okay with that and wanting to push that is because I've gone through the exact same pathway I've worked in um, I've coached both under 18 boys and girls I've, I've ticked you know I've done level one level two level three um, and I've kind of ticked all those boxes and um, so I, I've, I've never questioned my footy knowledge and my footy IQ. Um, I guess the, just the, big, the biggest difference at that point in time was that I was going into an AFL program. Um, and, you know, when you're walking around um, and you're, you're sitting in match committee and you've got to do a review and, um, you know, some of the biggest names of, in AFL footy are in, are in that room... Um, you do pinch yourself and, and there were times where you know I'd be lying if I said oh how are these guys how do I how should I shape this or how should I frame this or is you know is um, Lockie Keefe going to respond to this same way of coaching as um, you know Elise Parker would um, and, and probably not but you know maybe I think there was a lot of a, a number of times I kind of went into it trying to think, okay, how should I do things differently? How will it be received? Early on, I certainly was conscious of how is this going to be received? Um, and that's why your conversation deal that you had with me around that dinner table was, that was almost like this, um, I was like, nah, I've got this. I, I felt like I was, um, I've always coached in a really authentic way. Uh, but early on, I was probably overthinking, um, you know, how the guy's going to receive this. Um, but then when I step back and I look at it, um, was I doing much different? I don't think I was doing much different. I just looked different and probably two 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 feet shorter than every other coach there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for me, sometimes I've been my biggest obstacle. Um, yeah. Probably overthinking things. I, you know, if, there's probably a few people listening to this who would who would laugh and roll their eyes and say, "Yep, that's so accurate." But yeah, for me, early on, it was probably getting in the way of myself. Um, but authenticity has been really important. There are some things that I do differently. Um, if I try and be a really rah-rah old school coach and, um, you know, smash things and whatnot, like that would be pretty funny. I'm fairly sure you probably would have laughed at me if I did that. But, um, yeah, I go about things my own way and I've, I feel like I've developed a really strong working relationship with the, the younger guys I worked with, um, developed great relationships with the coaches uh, who have just been super. And, um, yeah, I feel really comfortable. But, yeah, it, just working on myself and and that piece is, is something that um, – yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I've kind of progressed the way I have, um, because yeah, I, I take that reflection piece into other areas of my life as well. Yeah, no, I think um, you you couldn't have nailed it better, and not that it's it's you know my answer to have, but I I think from my point of view, it's probably the way that, and not within even thinking and knowing what was going through your head, but I think any coach walking into a new club is always going to overthink um, what they're doing, and even any player. Like you yeah. know, when I first got to a club, it's like. Uh, what do I do here? What are they going to think of me if I do, you know, yeah. my drills like this or if I train like this or I say that? Like, I think it's overthinking anything. But I think, like you said, once um, – and not that we even, I ever even got that gauge from you because once you sort of just 
it was you know, two weeks past, you were just like this coach that was just like spraying people, taking people under their wing, like doing normal conversations. And yeah. I just, yeah, like that conversation we had that day, it was just something that I always wanted to say because I was like, look, when you have something to say, you got to say it. But um, yeah, not just saying this at, at all, but like the way you handled yourself and the way the boys respected you, um, I can't imagine how much, you know, your teammates respect you as well. But it was just incredible the way you transitioned into that program um, and the, the amount of respect that you had from the team. Um, you've just been such an incredible role model for, I'm sure, a lot of um, other women that are looking to do the same thing because um, if anyone can do it half as good as you, then there's going to be a lot more women coming into the AFL program. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Studying psychology is obviously another part of your, uh, your life because we said earlier AFLW, it wasn't at, you know, at the stage when you, before you were coaching, you were, you were studying and you're still yeah. doing a bit of that now, um, which you are doing. Um, how has that impacted your footy career and your mentality around things as well? Because I think you know, psychology is one of those things that um, being at sports psychology or, or just normal psychology, it, they all sort of relate into one, I think, and you can use it as a, as a strength of, of all things. Yeah. So where am I at with my study at the moment? I've, so I've done my, my four years uh, undergrad um, and postgrad. So I'm, I'm hoping to start studying again next year. It's all really dependent on... Um, I guess the COVID climate, but yeah, so I'll start my looking to start my psychology masters, and it's an area that I just picked up at school. I really enjoyed doing psych at school. Um, I'm pretty. Uh, I, I love reading people. I love observing people, and I love human <laughs> behaviour. So it was something that um, I, I guess pursued um, academically, but it does go hand in hand. And I know we were having a conversation last week about this, like. Um, I'm not someone who loves to read and do research and stick my head in books, although reading something that I've picked up in COVID that I, I actually quite enjoy. But I'm, you could go and spend a year at a footy club and just observe people and observe interactions and observe, um, you know, how people react to certain things. And I just find that fascinating. And yeah. um, I guess that's where some things that I'd picked up on um, you, was transferable into the footy space. Um, but... Yeah, I think I have worked in, um, I've done a little bit of work in the drug and alcohol space and I really enjoyed that. Um, so it gave me great perspective too as a player. Um, and I actually found, you know, as much as I said, I'd, I'd love to be a, a, full, a full-time athlete in that first year of AFLW, um, being able to go to work and work in that setting and work with an amazing team of people um, and work with people who are going through some really challenging things in their lives and then being able to go to Collingwood that afternoon and train. I trained with this great sense of perspective and I think it was that um, I really started enjoying my footy again and um, that wouldn't have been the sole reason but um, I just had a really good balance. Um, so it's definitely a field that I will continue to educate myself in and keep those doors open hopefully. Yeah, for sure. No, that's something that I'm really, I think if I could go back and I, I do talk about this a lot but in terms of perspective and looking back at my career and as much as the idea of becoming a full-time athlete is so um you know it's there and it's something that's incredible I think that and not to say that no one would do this but and I think that the the men's program have to do this a lot better um is to still have something outside of it because becoming a full-time athlete and from a psychology side or just a a person side I think is is it's not good like it's it's really hard to just become an athlete for 24 7 like you've just got to have a release there and I think that like you said earlier of having that work outside of it um can really bring the perspective and bring the bring the gratitude but not to say that 
um, you know, not to go full time, but I think it's you've always got to have that outlook of something else, and that's probably more talking about a men's program than anything. Mm. Because, you know, I'm talking to the boys at the moment, and obviously keeping in close contact with a lot of my mates, and they all, all do a lot of study. But I think that there's so much time in an AFL program yeah. to be doing something else, like yeah. outside of what you're doing, because it is a full time sport, and it's, it does take up a lot of your life, but. You know, you get one day off a week. Um, yeah. Some days are half days, and, and it's an incredibly, incredibly tough game. Don't get me wrong, and I don't want to yeah. sound like I'm I'm talking bad about it now because no, I did it for eight years. But yeah. there's just I just realised now once I'm out of it, there's so much time there to be doing things like yeah. that you can benefit you for later on. Yeah. Um. So if anything, you just look at it as a positive for now because when it does go full time, you're going to have those strengths there as well. Yeah, and. I think um, I'll just jump in there, a bit of a plug for Ladder, which is the official um, players' charity. Uh, And Ladder works in the, I guess, um, in the youth space. And we, uh, as the official charity partner of the AFL players, we're we're constantly looking for um, AFL players and AFLW players to get involved. And and whether it's mentoring or whether it's, um, you know, running a an online session around diet or the importance of sleep or anything that that can you know go towards assisting a young person um it's it's so rewarding and again it's it's that perspective piece and um and i think you know i i walk through the giants and i could name probably five players um off the top of my head right now who would be amazing in this in this space in this youth space and um whilst you're still playing footy like is there an opportunity to, to get educated or to, to seek, um, you know, experiences where you can work with an organisation like Ladder or, um, you know, I, th- I think you're spot on. There's, there is, it's such a full-on program for the guys um, and I experienced that firsthand last year. It's so full-on but is there room um, to, you know, to provide opportunities or more opportunities for players to develop in an off-field space and, and not just to not just to open up opportunities post-football, but to improve the, the mental wellbeing space presently. Alicia, Eva, what is next for you? Um, it's been an, an incredible ride the last, well, I suppose the last you know, five to, to ten years for yourself in terms of it's just probably, I don't know, did you ever imagine being where you are right now, let alone what, what's sort of happened? Like, I think no one can, but what you've achieved is is pretty, you know, instrumental. What, what, what's next? You know, what's in your mind? Because, it, like, everything you sort of look to do has been ticked off. Well, um, uh, yeah, still in a little bit of a holding pattern with, with the coaching stuff and what's to come, but I'm really, I'm realistic as a one in a hundred year event. So, um, still working through some things, uh, in that space. Um, but I will look to start my masters. So wish me luck in that. Cause I, I really don't like study that much, but, um, yeah, for me, for, I, I just keep saying yes to everything. And I think that's, definitely got me to where I am um it's probably something that I need to work on though as as my um schedule fills up a fair bit I tend to find myself saying yes to everything and then run out of time but yeah I don't know I don't put a limit on um where I'll end up um I don't think it's a bad thing that you know everyone says what's your 10-year plan what's your five-year plan and whilst I kind of have a rough idea um, I'm also open to kind of being pulled down this stream or going down that stream it's just dependent on what opportunity opens up for me so for now I'm training hard um, I would love to win an AFLW premiership for the Giants um, I'll keep I'd love to keep playing for the next however many years um, and yeah see what happens really don't know maybe I'll start a podcast I don't know <laughs> yeah well everyone else is doing it it's not that hard if I can do it uh, anyone can if there was 
If there was young girls out there listening today, and I hope there is um, some some girls listening, and even guys listening as well, but what would your message be to them about starting, you know, AFLW and the perception of it in, you know, from your point of view um, going forward? If there was a message that you could send out there about the sport and, and people getting involved and respecting it and seeing the time, as we said, as an investment yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and not a cost, what, what would it be? Uh I think Australian rules football is the best game in the world. Um, I've been lucky enough to play it for so many years and, I'm, and I love it. And I think that shouldn't be just enjoyed by, um, you know, just one gender specifically. So now there's a pathway. Um, if you love it, get involved. If you, you know, go down to your local club, the friends that you make through football as well. Um, I know that sounds horrifically cliched, but the people you meet in football are some of the best people you meet in your life. Um, and say yes to opportunities. Um, this is, you know, I, I've actually said no to a few things, particularly when I was um, in my teenage years because I was hyper self-conscious. Um, I was worried about lots of different, um, you know, what people said and um, stereotypes and X, Y and Z. And, and I said no to some things and they've actually been some of my, I won't say some of my life's biggest regrets because I've, you know, I'm lucky to have lived a very full life thus far, but um, they, they're probably opportunities that, were missed. So say yes to opportunities, um, really invest um, in, in educating people, helping people, um, you know, see things a little bit differently. Uh, and yeah, enjoy the game because it is the best game. Leish, thank you so much. Uh, you've inspired me. I'm bloody pumped. Um, can't wait to see what happens with uh, your career in, in playing and coaching and whatever whatever else it holds because um, uh, no, no matter what, there's good things to come and, and blessed to have you on the show. Blessed to call you a friend and can't thank you enough for your time. No, nah, I bloody love you, Dil Buckley, and we will hopefully see you maybe back up in Sydney soon. Oh, I wouldn't hopefully. mind that. Save me a spot at the beach at Bronte would be yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very nice. Yeah, up on that hill. No, I appreciate <laughs> it. Love your work, love what you're doing, and um, please stay safe and happy and well down in Victoria. We're thinking of all the um, Victorians and, and the Melbournians right now. So thanks for having me on Dylan Friends. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. Listener.